Pantry Studio Production. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. You know, I'm her mom. This is her sister. She has a brother. She has a five-year-old boy named Andrix. So she wouldn't just go missing. As beautiful as this life can be, it also offers its share of tragic, heart-wrenching, gut-cutting moments. The kind you never heal from. We fight for something. And so many, too many times, we have to fight just to keep it. Maybe the worst thief of all is uncertainty. Not knowing is, in many cases, I believe, worse than knowing. Because it comes at you in so many ways. You have no idea if those you love are no longer here. And what if they are? Where are they? Who took them? Are they cold? Are they hungry? And are they in pain? What are their thoughts at this very moment as you think about them? Do they know how much you love them? Oh, those are just some of the questions. Then there's the self-doubt that creeps in. As if you could have done something, anything to prevent the catastrophe from happening in the first place. That's when you begin to get sick. And sicker and sicker. Until you begin to doubt your very reason for being. Well, the certainty of death is one thing. The uncertainty. Well, that's a whole nother ballgame. When you simply don't. No. The floodgates of your imagination are wide open. We treat those that we've lost with a reverence that is justifiable. But when we don't know what has happened to them, when they are missing or seemingly vanished, well, that's another stage of hell on this earth that I simply can't imagine anyone going through. This episode is about three people three human beings that seemingly vanished from the face of God's good blue earth. But there is one thing that they all have in common that I am certain of. Someone somewhere knows where these people are and what happened to them. These are the Mountain Mysteries and this is episode number 29. Bring them home. The Mountain Mysteries of Candy Green Gonzalez, Crystal Branham Hall, and Kelly Holland Jr. I will be the last to fall. I won't shed a tear for them to see. There are over 1.9 billion square acres in the United States alone, and 24% of those are mountainous. The secrets that these regions hold are enormous. Reports of mysterious creatures, strange sightings and sounds, ghosts and murders, and those who have seemingly vanished. 
They are questions that need asking and answers worth finding. These are the Mountain Mysteries. Here's Chris Long. I'm Chris Lone. Thanks a lot again for joining us for another episode of The Mountain Mysteries. Patreon support is now more important than ever before. We certainly appreciate all of our Patreons. And as a thank you, we're going to be giving more things out for Patreon family members only. Things like t-shirts, ceramic water bottles that you've seen on our website, I'm sure, at themountainmysteriespodcast.com. And there you can also learn how to become a Patreon member for as little as $3 a month. That makes all of the difference in the world in producing these episodes and getting them out to people. And this particular episode is going to be a little bit different. Actually, it's going to be quite different. These are going to be three individual cases in one episode. Now, the reason for that is, is each individual case did not have a great deal of information about it, but there was enough in each one to put together three, and these are three episodes that people seem to be wanting to hear the most. Now, with that being said, although there's not a lot of information on some of these cases now, that doesn't mean that'll change, and when it does, we will update those. We'll begin with one that's close to home. 36-year-old Candy Green Gonzalez lived in Floyd County for a couple of years. She went missing on the first day of June 2021, and it wasn't far from her own home during that afternoon, that, according to one of Candy's family members, her boyfriend had just kicked her out. Now, Candy's about 5'8 and 110 pounds, blonde hair, blue eyes, a beautiful girl. Candy was last seen wearing a pink one-piece romper outfit. She was last spotted in the backyard of a home on Abbott Creek Road after the people on site recorded an interaction where she wandered around the property before asking them to call her mother. She was without any of her possessions, not even having a cell phone. They called, getting her voicemail and leaving a message that Betty Dixon, who is Candy's mom, said that she will never forget. She said, your, your daughter is here. She says, she says you're her mother. And I could hear Candy saying, Mom, Mom, Mom. It was with that voicemail and a collection of videos that Betty was able to piece together the interaction in the yard. And though she says it was hard to tell if the events were aimed at helping her daughter or taunting her, the family's just hoping that someone, anyone, can help piece together the rest. She did seem very confused about where she was and maybe even how she got there. That's according to Floyd County Sheriff John Hunt. Now, apparently, according to Betty, Candy's mother, there seemed to be a few young guys in a pickup truck that may have been taunting her. You know, these boys are here and they're taunting her and then she just takes off because she's scared. She takes off running at this same spot and her shoes were found two days later in the creek. That's the last anyone has seen her. 
The sheriff also said that she seemed confused about where she was and how she got there. Throughout the video, a woman that was filming is heard telling Candy that she needs to leave the property and that the doorbell camera is recording her. Now, there's more videos where you can hear the woman leaving the voicemail for her mother, and she actually offered to help, it seems, but told Candy that she needed to calm down and talk to the people that were filming her. Candy did not seem to be talking to the group outside of asking for her mother and telling of how her boyfriend kicked her out. The boys in the group then yell out a warning of snakes when Candy starts running away into the creek area. Now, there are those that believe that the group did not treat her with compassion. The Ring Doorbell video has never been released to the public, and whether or not these boys are related to the woman who filmed the video is also in question. The owner of the house that Candy was last seen at was not home at the time all this happened, but he did say that he and his family had never met Candy before. He did offer an account of what happened the day she disappeared, as his sister-in-law was at his house helping one of the disabled family members load the car. Now, according to his sister-in-law, she was standing there in the driveway. Some teenage boys drove up to the house. These boys had been doing some landscaping work nearby at a home when they saw Candy in the yard that they were working on. She said that the young men stated that they tried to approach her to see if she needed help. Several times they tried, but she walked away and circled back into the yard before walking off down the main road of Abbott Creek. It was then the young men decided to drive ahead to see if they could help her. As they approached the address, they saw adults in the driveway and stopped to inform them of the situation. That is when Miss Gonzalez entered the front yard and continued through the gate into the backyard. The next few moments, well, to say that they were chaotic is putting it mildly. But apparently, Miss Gonzalez was approached by the sister-in-law of this family and was offered help. It's unfortunate that Miss Gonzalez did not remain on the property, they said, and wait for additional attempts to phone her mom. After Miss Gonzalez exited the property, the police were notified in another attempt to help Miss Gonzalez. They said that they understood that some people are upset by the comments made by one of the teenage boys. Now, while they agree that the crazy comment was insensitive, they would ask everyone to remember that these are kids, they're teenage boys. They were making a sincere attempt to help Miss Gonzalez, according to them, and the video is just a snapshot, a small piece in the context of the overall picture that happened. Candy's cousin Amanda pointed out that Candy was upset and had asked for help in the video that was taken of her, but she's not sure why things were not handled differently. Amanda was upset that one of the women there was acting very condescending towards Candy in her state of distress. She said that Candy was literally thrown out by her boyfriend with nothing but a romper and sandals on, and she did ask for help. She asked the woman, please call my mother, in which she gives the woman her mother's phone number. She also stated that maybe someone could have asked if Candy needed water or if she was okay. The brother of Candy said that they found her shoes the first day they searched about five feet from where she went into the creek. They called the state police and were told by a police officer to pick the shoes up out of the creek. Well, they said there was no way they were going to do that. They didn't do it. By the way, they weren't touched. Officers didn't come and get those shoes until Saturday, which was three days later. After Kentucky State Police found nothing in their canine search, the family felt as if they hit a wall. In the meantime, a lot of rumors and allegations have been swirling around the community. The family just wants real answers. 
Sue Abbott, Candy's sister, said that she's a missing person, a mother, and a sister. She's someone's daughter, and they all need her. She said Candy needs to be found. We need the help to find her, and we need people to feel that, regardless of what someone thinks. Sheriff John Hunt of the Floyd County Sheriff's Department said that it's the weirdest thing in the world. She was just wandering around somebody's backyard, and then she runs through a creek and just disappears. No one chasing her. Nothing to suspect anything other than that she was just on her own and ran into the creek, and so far she hasn't been found. Search teams, along with neighbors and others in the community, were combing every single piece of property in the community, hoping to find evidence of where Gonzalez might be. Hunt said multiple agencies have been conducting searches using helicopters, dogs, drones, and volunteers. One search team believes it tracked her over a hill towards another road, but they've been unable to follow her from there. The sheriff said that for the last few weeks during this time frame that they'd called continuously to tell them that they'd searched their buildings, barns, even underpinnings on their homes, everywhere on the property to try to help the sheriff's department rule out places that they didn't have to go back and search again. Hunt says that even cadaver dogs had replaced tracking dogs in the search. He was hoping to use those to rule anything else out. Hunt said that thank God the cadaver dogs had not found anything, so there is hope. Her brother has voiced his upset with the fact that police have switched to cadaver dogs. Different scenarios of what could have happened to Candy Gonzalez keep playing in her mother's mind. Her mother, Betty Dixon, said that they need some type of clue other than where she was last seen. Every day since, Dixon waits for the call that her daughter is safe. She said no matter where she's at, her phone is on her, but sometimes those calls lead to cruel dead ends. At one point, someone had actually called demanding a ransom, saying that they wanted $5,000 to turn Candy in. Dixon said she just wants her baby back. She may be 36 years old, but Candy is her baby. The family has now started an online FBI petition hoping to bring the federal law enforcement agency into play. Now, that's kind of uncommon as the FBI typically only gets involved with local cases if asked by local law enforcement. The family and community are concerned that the local police are not taking the searching seriously. The family has also stated that they're the ones conducting most of the searches for Candy and that there are rumors that the local sheriff is declining further help from surrounding county officers. The community is also concerned that Candy's ex-boyfriend happens to be the son of the former sheriff of Floyd County. Anyone with any information is asked to call the Floyd County Sheriff's Office at 606-886-6171 or the Kentucky State Police, Pikeville Post 9 at 606-433-7711. The family has offered a $10,000 reward to anyone with information that leads to finding her. Imagine talking on the phone to a friend or someone that you care about. That friend hears a knock on the back door and they go to answer it. And you don't hear from them again. As a matter of fact, no one does. At the age of eight, Crystal Branham Hall's aunt got custody of her and raised her until she was about 18 years old. Her aunt said that she was a stubborn kid, but always did pretty well in school. 
Home life was a bit rough, but the family always did the best they could. Crystal's nickname is Red because of her bright, curly red hair. Even in the missing person reports, you can see what a beautiful smile Crystal had. She was last seen in Pikeville, Kentucky on March 3, 2009. She was home alone at her apartment on Kentucky Avenue, talking to a friend on the phone when she said someone was coming in the back door. She's never been heard from again. Now, she does not own a vehicle and all of her belongings, including her purse and coat, were found in her apartment the next day. So if she left with someone, it didn't seem as if she was expecting to be gone for a very long period of time at all. Now, looking at the weather history for the night of March 1st, 2009, the warmest it got that day was around 36 degrees. One would think if she had intended on being gone for more than a few minutes, she would have at least taken her coat on such a cold night. Crystal left behind three young kids. Her grandmother had custody of two of them at the time. Hall asked her to take care of them because she felt that she wasn't a fit mother. You see, Crystal had had an issue and a history of drug abuse, specifically marijuana and some prescription painkillers. She was struggling with depression and taking antidepressants at the time of her disappearance. She struggled with her drug addiction and spent a year in jail on drug-related charges, but her grandmother said Crystal called her kids every night without fail to wish them sweet dreams and she would visit them several times a week. Honestly, in my opinion, that speaks volumes about her character. We all have demons that we fight. And just because she had these demons makes her no less of a person. She knew she had problems and she cared enough about her kids to make sure that they were taken care of. Crystal's grandmother doesn't believe she would have abandoned them like this, or in any way. Now, Crystal is petite. She's around 5'3 and only weighs about 107 pounds. She has a fair complexion with red hair, although Branham said that her granddaughter had recently dyed her hair an auburn purple color. She has brown eyes, her ears and belly button are pierced. Now, she has the name Willie tattooed on the bottom of her left leg, the outline of a heart tattooed at the top of her right arm, and possibly the letter H tattooed on her lower leg. The Willie and heart tattoos are only outlined, they've not been colored in. Authorities stated that there were several reported sightings of Mrs. Hall in the area after her disappearance, but none of them have ever been confirmed. Now, as far as what could be found, there's been no airline tickets or bus tickets ever purchased or issued to her under her name using her photo ID or any personal information. Crystal's grandmother believes that she is deceased, as she doesn't believe Crystal would simply walk out on her kids. Her aunt has told the news that every lead or gossip she hears, she looks into with the police. The family is still looking the best they can. Maybe we can help. As of this date, her case remains unsolved. Her three boys and her family just want to know where Crystal is at. If you think or suspect that you have any information that could help Crystal's family find answers, please call the Kentucky State Police Pikeville Post 9 at area code 606-433-7711. Again, that's 606-433-7711. When you're a child, the world is a very big place. It's even bigger than you could imagine once you become an adult. 
It was on November 17, 1975 that Kelly Holland Jr. was born, and he lived in Kentucky and Knott County until the day that he vanished. Physically, he had brown hair, blue eyes, he stood about four foot tall, and weighed somewhere around 60 pounds. He has a surgical scar on the left side of his face between his nose and upper lip. His teeth had gaps between them. He was born with a cleft palate, and as a result, he had a speech impediment. He could not communicate, or rather enunciate, certain words. At the time he went missing, he was six years old. Kelly had an unexpected day off from kindergarten on the 12th of February, 1982. Knott County, Kentucky had been hit with a heavy snowstorm, and school had been canceled as a result of that. After he ate breakfast, he begged his mother, Judy Moore, to be allowed to go outside and play in the snow. Now, at first, Judy said no. Kelly had asthma, and she didn't think that that was a good idea for him to go out in such cold weather. But eventually, after enough begging, she gave in to his pleas and helped him put on his snow boots and a heavy winter coat. After cautioning him not to leave the yard, she sent him outside around 11 o'clock in the morning. Judy had been a very young mother. She dropped out of school when she was only 14 years old and married Bobby Holland. By 1974, the couple had two children, Robert and Margaret. A third child had been born prematurely and only survived a few weeks. Neither Bobby nor Judy had a job. Judy said that she had epilepsy that prevented her from working. The state of Kentucky removed Robert and Margaret from the home, ruling that Judy wasn't taking adequate care of them. Her parents stepped in and took custody of both children, but it wasn't long before Judy was pregnant again. Kelly was born in November of 1975. The state of Kentucky doesn't appear to have raised any questions about Judy's ability to parent him whatsoever, and she retained custody of Kelly. She and Bobby soon divorced, and she told people that Kelly was all she had. Judy and Kelly moved in with her boyfriend in Pine Tree Hollow in 1981. It was an extremely rural area with gravel roads and just a few homes scattered around the hollow. Now, due to the remoteness of it, Judy felt it was quite safe to allow six-year-old Kelly to play outside unsupervised. She checked on him, though, through a window a few times that afternoon, and he seemed to be having fun entertaining himself in the snow. Judy went to a neighbor's home sometime around 4 o'clock that evening to use their phone. She and her boyfriend didn't have a phone of their own, and she needed to talk to her sister. Kelly was still playing outside at the time. After chatting with her sister, she returned home. Kelly was no longer in the yard but she assumed he went to visit friends down the street. The two boys would often watch television together. It's said that Kelly loved the Dukes of Hazard, so Judy figured Kelly would return home once the show was over. She made dinner around 6 o'clock and went outside to see if she could find Kelly, but he still hadn't returned. So she decided to eat without him. After she finished, she walked to the home of Kelly's friend and asked if Kelly was there. Judy claimed that once she learned Kelly was missing, she went to the home of her boyfriend's grandparents so she could use their phone to call police. For some reason, she said they refused to allow her to use the phone until midnight. Now, that's unclear as to why she didn't attempt to go somewhere else to use the phone. By the time she called to report the child missing, he had been gone for at least six hours. Maybe more. The Knott County Rescue Squad was dispatched immediately and started searching the area for the missing child. At first, they assumed that he had simply wandered off and gotten lost, and expected to find him quickly. 
But Kelly's Street was a gravel road winding into the mountains with very few houses that were tucked between folds of the forest. It was almost 2 o'clock in the morning when the rescue squad called the Kentucky State Police and alerted them that the situation appeared to have been more serious than they had thought, and they had found no sign of Kelly. The first state trooper arrived on the scene at about 3 o'clock in the morning. The earliest hours of the search were hampered by a lack of manpower on the overnight shift as well as by the fact that it had started to snow again. But by daylight, dozens of officials were involved in the search for Kelly. A lot of people assumed the boy was lost or injured. The area was so remote that abduction did not seem very likely. The main concern was that Kelly might have tumbled into one of the abandoned mine shafts that dotted the area. New snowfall had eradicated any footprints that the boy may have left, so they used search dogs to try to pick up a scent, and the dogs seemed unable to pick up a single thing. Judy called her parents to tell them that Kelly was missing. Their reaction was likely not what she expected. They seemed to think that Judy had done something to her son. Judy's father lamented the fact that he and his wife only had custody of Margaret and Robert, saying that if they had custody of Kelly, he would never have disappeared. Initial reports indicated that a friend of Kelly's had seen him on the afternoon he disappeared. Now, that boy stated that he and Kelly had walked to a small store located in the hollow around 4 o'clock in the evening. Later reports omitted this supposed sighting. It's unclear if police were able to rule it out or if the child reporting it had his days mixed up. No one else ever reported seeing Kelly at all that day. Judy believed that Kelly's father likely has something to do with the abduction, but police were able to verify that he had been nowhere near Pine Tree Hollow on the day that Kelly went missing. Judy's sister claimed that Judy had killed Kelly and asked for help hiding his body. But Judy still heavily denies this, and her sister later retracted her statement. The search for Kelly continued for more than two weeks. Police combed through Pine Tree Hollow looking for any evidence that might lead to the missing child, but they never found anything. They drained wells and dragged creeks, searched through abandoned mines, dug up several different areas, and checked under homes and porches. One neighbor thought she recalled seeing a green car in the area the day that Kelly went missing, but without any other information, police were not able to determine if that car had anything to do with the disappearance. Authorities also looked into rumors that Judy was somehow responsible for whatever happened to Kelly, but they were not able to find any evidence to substantiate these claims. Several of the detectives and locals believed Judy was involved. The police did note that several of the people living in the area had criminal records and no one could be ruled out. A grand jury investigation was brought up and took a look at Judy, Kelly's mother, but they were unable to find sufficient evidence suggesting that she had done anything to him. It wasn't long after that that this investigation just went cold. Sporadic searches for Kelly continued to take place over the years. It was back in 2008 that detectives received a tip that Kelly had been killed and buried under the concrete porch of his former home. So, what do you do? Well, you go dig that thing up. Yesterday. Investigators did just that, too. They dug around the entire foundation of the porch, but they didn't find anything. To this day, the case remains open, and detectives continue to follow up on new leads as they learn about them. They do not believe Kelly was abducted. 
They believe he was likely murdered on the same day that he was reported missing, and they're hoping to one day get the information they need to close this case. In 2010, Kelly's aunt passed away. She had told Kelly's sister that she would be leaving behind a letter, implying heavily that it would contain information about Kelly. Nothing else has been able to be found out about this letter. So it either did not exist or it didn't pertain to Kelly's disappearance. So as of today, Kelly would be 45 years old. If you have any information on him, please contact Kentucky State Police at area code 606-435-6069. That's area code 606-435-6069. I don't believe police are so much worried about your identity as they are the information. Again, 606-435-6069. Remember to like and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and others. We're available also on Spotify and just about anywhere podcasts are found. Check out our website at www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com and don't forget to join in on the chats on the Discord server and join us on Facebook for live events on Thursday nights. They're called the Mountain Mysteries Gatherings. We'll talk about these and other cases. Musical scoring was provided in part by Trevor Huff for the Mountain Mysteries. I'm Chris Sloan. Stay mysterious. If you enjoy the Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support the Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. Production.